star burns in the darkness, shines with the promise, Emmanuel. One child born in the stillness, living within us, Emmanuel. We're singing glory, glory, let there be second week of Advent. Welcome to Fusion this morning in this space, as well as welcome to you who are joining us online. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. On the second Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of peace, remembering the words of Isaiah 11, they shall not hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, Isaiah 11, verse 9. Amen. Let's continue to sing worship to him this morning. Two, three, and four. 
Good morning. So good to see you all, and welcome to worship. I'd like to invite the kids now to gather by the doors. All right, folks. Good to see you all. Wow, what a beautiful sight, beautiful sight. And we're going to bless them, and they will bless us in return. And the words are up on the screen for us. All right. Let's say together, the Lord be with you. Beautiful. Have a great morning. I'm not done yet. You know, I actually searched it before worship this morning. I thought, you know, where does that phrase, the Lord be with you, you know, where does that come from? Like, what's been the story behind that? I mean, it's got a rich biblical history to it. And probably the nugget of it is, you know, as believers, we get to say more than, hey, have a good day. We get to say, the Lord is with you as he is with me. And our identity is found in him. So just think about that for a moment. We know our kids are going off to, to their worship time and their learning time. And we're just saying again as a community, what we are, who we are, whose we are is all centered in our identity in Christ. It is him. And he kind of overshadows our whole life and our life is found in him. So I kind of like this, that we do this, that we say that blessing every, every week to our kids. In a moment, we're going to pray, but before we do, I'm uh, one of the elders here at, at Hardwick. My name is Andrew, and now that we have our name tags on, I'm seeing lots of little white um, squares out there. Great. That's just helping us kind of get familiar, share our names with each other. Love this whole development here, so uh, put one on when you come into worship. Um, my role as a, as a council leader is the fusion elder, and what we've committed to as council is to do a quarterly update just to help you kind of maintain this connection with and have good communication between where we are as the leadership of Heart Awake, leadership and staff, and kind of who we all are as a community. So this Sunday in each of the communities, we're, we're doing this bit of an update. And I just want to say, and I've been on council a number of times over the years, and I've shared this with you before, the, the spirit on council and the, the, the partnership that exists around that table. We meet right there, by the way. We meet right here in this open space, and certainly we have that, that lovely room downstairs, but meeting up in this space really connects us more to the ministries that are happening here. Think about all that happens here in this space during the week, Wednesday nights, worship time over at the anchor. I mean, there's lots of stuff that takes place here. And we meet, we pray, we oversee, we give some, we have some oversight over the staff, they share reports, we ask questions, we have conversation with them. It's very ministry driven in that way. And we also study. We have actually a book that we currently read as uh, council leaders and staff reads it with us. And so we're also engaging in some of these larger issues that we face as a church, kind of thinking, you know, community facing, you know, what are the things we have to be engaged in? And also, what is it that we are needing here to grow in? And now we're moving into something quite theological around those basic tenets of our belief. And uh, it's going to be, I think, an interesting conversation as well. 
Um, it's also good to be on this side of the pandemic, yes? I mean, we still have some folks that join us online, which is wonderful. But I'm just experiencing these last few weeks that we've been together in worship. Um, I don't know. I don't, maybe your experience was different. But we know when we started celebrating those baptisms and we've had communion a few times and uh, the messages around the story, JB has just been helping us really go deep in some of those big stories. Um, I've just experienced a new sense of delight. And I must say that that's largely connected to being present. So just, I had to share that. I think there's some really wonderful things going on. I also popped over to Celebration a few weeks ago. They had uh, uh, this Bach cantata thing going on. I stepped inside that space and I just had, I just reveled in the, the sound and the music. And so I think across campus, we're just experiencing the joy of being together and celebrating and through music, through preaching, all of that. Well, around that pandemic, we also made some changes, which I'm, I know we're living into as well. One of those is the way we do communion, right? I mean, we had communion last week and some of those things I think are still kind of developing as we move beyond the pandemic. Um, but you've noticed that change. You've also noticed the change with how we collect um, offerings during worship. We actually had a conversation about this last council meeting, that offerings, giving, is not just something we do kind of over there as we might do our charitable giving, but it's actually a part of worship. And I'm you know, wanting us to kind of, in our minds and hearts, kind of continue, maybe deepen our connection to offerings and giving as part of our worship. JB and I had a quick conversation before worship this morning and saying he kind of remembers kind of growing up and also early years with his children about giving them a dollar to put in the offering plate. Remember that? Okay, well, we're not passing an offering plate anymore, so we're losing maybe some of that direct in-the-moment connection, but we do have those offering places at the doors and there are of course the ways in which we can give online and I'm just reminding us and I want you to be thinking about this as your elder connect your thankfulness to God with how you are giving first fruits from the way in which he has blessed you and teach that to your children and I think we have to do our job here in this community as well connect those worship opportunities that are part of giving. Um, this year, as we're coming to a close, you've probably gotten an email. If you haven't, I think you can you know, just get your email onto the system. Darwin shared with us this rather common picture of end-of-year giving, and that is the hockey stick. And it's really how it happens here at Hardawake as well, pretty commonly among churches and among organizations, that 25 to 30% of our giving, the needs that are there for making ministry happen, they're given in the last eight weeks of the year. No one's saying we have to change that, but what I think it does bring to us is that it, it puts stress on the ministries and I think it's also important for us to remind ourselves that that's a key part of the way we give. So it being, that being the case, and this year with all of the things that are true about our society right now, our expenses are below budget, but our giving has not really kept pace with the budget. 
And I just wanted to give you the number. Where we are right now to finish the year well and finish the next year strong is $475,000. $475,499 to be exact. That's a big number. There have been big numbers annually. And I'm sharing this with you because that's part of our community commitment. When we approve, these are the ministry initiatives and these are the spending plans we have towards those things. Um, be mindful of that. I know we can do it. The Lord has blessed us richly. And I think that blessing certainly shows up in our own lives, but it also shows up around here. And the stories and the children, we just bless them. Things that happen around here on Wednesdays, the youth ministries, the work through uh, Neighbors Plus. Um, so lots happens here. And I just encourage us all as a community to stay focused as well on, on what's God calling us to do this time of year towards the end of the year to make ministry happen here. All right, that was rather lengthy. I appreciate your patience on that. Thank you. We are now going to turn to the Lord in prayer. And I'm starting the prayer today with Psalm 24. So will you bow with me? The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Oh, Lord, we just turn to that psalm in a way to acknowledge again our reverence for you, your deep love for us, that you are our king. And here we are at this time of year, celebrating, anticipating the celebration of your birth. You coming in the form of a human person, fully God, fully human, to take on yourself, flesh and blood, to bear in your body yourself, our, the penalty for our iniquity, our sin, our brokenness. And so, Lord, today, as we come to worship, we again orient around that truth. We are found in you, formed by you. We follow you. Our life is in you. So, today, as JB opens the word to us, Lord, speak to us. Tell us again. Remind us again of who you are, who we are, and that our life is in you. 
remind us again that no matter what we're going through here as a community and individually in our lives, you are present. So for those of us who are anticipating surgeries, treatments, dealing with pain and worry, struggle, Lord, remind us that you are present, that you are king, that you will be glorified. We thank you that PJ is home. We pray, Lord, that he continues to heal, that his lungs continue to recover. We pray for those, Lord, in our community, broad community here, who are nearing the end of their life here on earth. And we pray for comfort and grace, peace, strength for them, for their family. We pray for those, Lord, who are entering this holiday season, this time of celebration, this being the first season, Christmas season, without their loved one present. Remind us, Lord, that you are present, that you, we are found in you, that you are king, that you will be glorified. Lord, whatever it is, where we are going. And as a community, Lord, with big challenges here as we come to the end of our year, we want to thank you again for the wonderful team, the team of teachers Pastors, leaders, Lord, the staff throughout the organization, throughout the church who are serving you and helping us to serve you well, leading us in that. We pray you'll bless uh, us as we finish this year. May we really celebrate the work and what you are doing. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray this. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, yeah, just to echo Andrew's words of, of gratitude for you and uh, for your generosity and uh, your, your giving, not only of resource, financial resources, but the time and the uh, efforts that are put into ministry here. It is uh, a beautiful thing and a beautiful season to be part of, of Heart Awake Ministries. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, the sun is shining. Can I get an amen to that? And uh, it's December and Christmas is approaching. It's just around the corner. It's going to sneak up on us. And so, uh, wow, it's here, right? A couple of opportunities just to make you aware of. Um, this evening, I believe 530 is the time, we have a, a scripture and song service. And so if you're one who just loves uh, those, those favorite Christmas hymns, we're going to be singing just about all of them in the sanctuary this evening along with scripture. It's going to be very simple and then I think there's some refreshments afterward. Come, come back 5.30 for that. As well as uh, I think there's a slide up on the screen for in two Sundays, our kids choir, uh, which all of our kids are going to be singing a, a song that they've been working on. And I've gotten little glimpses of, of the song that they've been singing. There's a, there's a little, I don't know if you can read any of that, but December 18, so in two weeks, parents, make sure your kids are here. Uh, we want to see them. We want to hear them. They got some motions. We've, I've seen little glimpses and it's going to be awesome. So can I get an amen to that? Amen, yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. Amen. Kids choir, yes. Um, but anyway, we're getting back into uh, 
um, our, our story. We've been walking, just a reminder, uh, through the narrative of Scripture. And just a heads up, uh, today is kind of our last Sunday in the story for a few weeks. Uh, after this week, we're going to kind of shift our focus into Advent, and we're going to be looking at the books of prophecies in Isaiah that point to Jesus, while also looking at some of the, the words from Revelation that also kind of point to Jesus coming again. And so that's, I don't even know where that's all going to land, but it's going to be exciting and fun. That starts next week. Uh, but this week, we kind of kind of end this season of, of the three kings over the unified kingdom uh, of Israel. If you remember last week, we, we wrapped up kind of David and David's reign, and we looked at his fall, and we talked about confession. And uh, if you remember last week, the end of David's reign as king over Israel, I mean, the, the nation, David's household was in turmoil. And uh, today we, we shift our attention to the book of First Kings and look at the story of Solomon. Now Solomon is, is Bathsheba's second child. Her first child with David um, died tragically. We remembered that. Um, but David also had some other sons. We remembered that briefly last week, uh, sons with other wives, uh, Amnon, who was killed by his brother Absalom. Absalom, who was then uh, killed as he attempted this coup to take David's throne. And so just all this mess. And we step into the book of First Kings. And the first two chapters is when, when really David gives Solomon, at the request of Bathsheba, his blessing and anoints Solomon as the next king over Israel. There's some messiness. I'll let you read up on that in, in the first two chapters. Um, but then we get to uh, this, this similar rhythm. If you remember with David and Saul, there was kind of this arc, this, this ascent, and then like a downfall for Saul and for David. Solomon has a similar kind of arc to his life. First uh, Kings chapters three through eight really cover his, uh, his accomplishments or contributions as king of Israel. And then chapters 9 through 11, you see that in the graphic. It might be hard to see, uh, but it's really Solomon's downfall. We're going to kind of cover both of those movements uh, this morning, but we're going to begin with maybe one of the more well-known passages in Solomon's life, 1 Kings chapter 3, where we have this account of Solomon requesting wisdom from God. And so if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. 1 Kings chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15 this morning. Verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and had given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties.' 
Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to discern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there you will never have anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you once again for this testimony of your people this story that is our story, that is your story. And and God, we pray once again that as we study the life of Solomon, Lord, that, that your spirit would speak into our lives, that you would convict and challenge while also encouraging us as we join in this journey of being found in, following, and being formed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. This, uh, this past Monday night, uh, our family uh, joined some friends here from church uh, for the, the Zealand Christmas Parade. Anyone check out any of the parades this week? I know Holland had one Tuesday night. Uh, just, just a joy and, and a fun, fun time. Of course, the, the hospitality and just being with friends was a, was a joy and a treat. But there was also some highlights that I thought were, were notable from the parade itself. Um, got a picture here. Uh, there was a, a, a woody wagon that rolled past with an obnoxiously large tree tied to the roof. Do you, do you know the movie this was referring to? Anyone want to call it out? Christmas Vacation, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but my mind just immediately went back to that movie, the scene of, of Chevy Chase, you know, the Griswolds, you know, tromping through the forest to find the perfect tree. And of course, no ordinary tree would do. It had to be the most obnoxiously large tree that you can imagine and then them tying that thing. And I don't know what, what was represented there, but kudos to them. That was a fantastic entry. I'm yelling out, hey, Clark! Anyway, it was fun. The other thing that I think was worth noting, and this is really more, this would have had my kids vote, was, was the people who were passing out full-sized candy bars at a Christmas parade. Uh, by the way, that's, that's kind of dangerous, you know, like Snickers bar, blah, you know. They, okay, they weren't throwing them. They were walking and they were passing them out. But what happened was we were kind of at the end of the parade route. And so if you're ever at a, a Christmas parade and they happen to be handing out full-size candy bars and they happen to have a lot extra at the end of the parade and you happen to be at the end of the parade route, like, you're in a good spot. So anyway, these people are just <laughs> passing out, like handing out full-size candy bars, like dozens of people with these bags and they just keep 
handing candy to my kids. And they're just like, this is amazing. And finally, this guy comes like toward the end. He's kind of trailing. And he's like, hey, uh, did you guys get any candy bars? We're like, I'm like, yeah, we got plenty. And my kids are like, no, 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 we need more. We need more, right? I'm like, dude, we have like 13 Milky Ways. Like, we're just fine. There's, a, there's our hall right there. And um, anyway, I, I just was thinking about these two images and it's kind of fun and, and we can chuckle and whatnot, but, but don't those kind of become kind of like a snapshot or a glimpse of, of what Christmas has kind of become in our culture, right? Um, bigger tree, no, no small tree, no bigger tree, two trees, more Christmas lights. I got my Christmas lights up, by the way, they look great, uh, but right, but we're like obsessed with Christmas decorations and Christmas trees and, and then more candy, more treats, more presents under the tree, like more, more, more. And as I think about that, like really Christmas in our culture has kind of become a symptom of, of where we're at as a broader culture. More and more, bigger and better, and it's never enough. I was thinking of that, um, that well-known, and maybe I've, I've shared this, that well-known quote, I think it's J.D. Rockefeller, where he's asked, how much is enough? And do you know that his answer? He's like the, the wealthiest man maybe ever in the history, relatively speaking, of the world. And he says, just a little more. How much is enough? Just a little more. Actually, this leads perfectly into the, the life of King Solomon. Because what do we see in the life of King Solomon? King Solomon was, was the king who had it all. And we're going to look at that. But what we see in King Solomon's life is, is where does all of this excess actually lead this king who we, we, we elevate as, as maybe the wisest person to ever live? Where does all this excess leave this wise king? And we're going to look at that. But let's begin with considering Solomon's contributions because there's many. His accolades, his, the positive parts of, of Solomon's story, his legacy. Let's, let's look at that first. Our passage this morning really helps us capture some of the positives of Solomon's life. Many of the things King Solomon is remembered for as king of Israel are mentioned right here in chapter 3 uh, from maybe the most well-known of those, his, his vast wisdom. Right? Solomon was a wise king. Uh, but he also was a very successful king. And he led the people of God into a season of prosperity and peace. And we'll talk about that. And then maybe one of his more well-known uh, uh, contributions was he was the one who oversaw the building of the first temple in Jerusalem. Let's talk about each of those, beginning with uh, wisdom, Solomon's wisdom and his writings where those, that wisdom was written down. Uh, God offers Solomon anything, right? You can have anything that you ask for. And, and, and there's this beautiful moment in chapter three where, where Solomon's like, I'm only a child. Like, you could just hear the humility, like overwhelmed by the task of ruling God's people. And he says, give me wisdom. Chapter four, we're, we're given this summary of, of Solomon's wisdom and it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing of how, how much they talk about his wisdom, uh, the, the biblical authors, but we read this. God gave wisdom, Solomon wisdom and great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He, he spoke 
3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Woo, take a deep breath. Was Solomon wise? Yeah. Not only was he a, a, this kind of wise sage and king, but apparently he's kind of somewhat of a botanist and a biologist, right? He knows things about plant life and animals of that time. In fact, there's this well-known story uh, in the verses that follow in chapter three, maybe you're familiar, where two women come to Solomon and, and they, one of the women is carrying this child and the other woman is saying, that is, that's my child. She, she, her child died in the night and now then she took my child and they're arguing, whose child is it? And Solomon says, give me the child. And he says, give me a sword and we'll, we'll cut the child in half and give each mother their fair share. And the one mom is like, yeah, that sounds like a fair deal. And the other mom, who's actually the mother, says, no way. Don't hurt that child. Give the child to the other woman instead. And Solomon in his wisdom says, that's the true mother. And he gives the child to the mother, right? And, and Israel's like, wow, he's, he's wise. Not only that, uh, this story is one example, but remember this summer? We studied the Proverbs, the wisdom literature. Like many of the wisdom literature is attributed this to Solomon, right? The Proverbs, uh, the, book of, uh, the, the book of Song of Songs, right? These are attributed to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon is remembered for his wisdom and his great contribution to the wisdom literature of Scripture. Wisdom and writings. The second contribution from Solomon is he was a good king. Let's talk a little bit about how he ruled as king. Uh, during Solomon's reign, Israel enjoyed a season of, of about 40 years of great peace and prosperity, and they were respected among the nations, peace, prosperity, and power. During, during this time, Israel was respected in the ancient world. Think about this. National pride for Israel was at like an all-time high during Solomon's reign. In fact, the name Solomon... It's kind of a fun Hebrew word to say. It's a shlomo. Do you want to say that? Shlomo. You can, you can say that if you want. Uh, but it, do you hear? There's another Hebrew word that shares the same root. That word is shalom, which means peace. So Solomon's very name actually means peace and prosperity and well-being. And, and, and during his reign, those things were all true in the nation of Israel. In fact, the book of Kings records this summary uh, from Solomon's almost 40 years as king. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, they were happy. So Solomon ruled over all of these different nations, right? And they had peace on all sides, meaning the surrounding nations. During Solomon's lifetime, verse 25, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. Everyone under his own vine, under their own fig tree. Solomon had, then we're given this kind of detail, Solomon had 4,000 stalls of chariot horses and 12,000 horses. That is, a, that is a statement about power and a military force, right? During the majority of Solomon's reign, there were no wars, there were no conflicts, but the people lived in relative peace and prosperity. 
And again, Israel was, was respected as a power on the world stage. Solomon was a good king and a great political leader. In fact, Solomon was diplomatic. Uh, he, 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 how did he do that? Uh, he made alliances with other nations. And in the ancient world, how did you make alliances with other nations? Uh, you gave a daughter in marriage. And so we have this detail in chapter three, verse one, where he, he married the daughter of Pharaoh. Like, what's going on there? He's making a political alliance with Egypt, one of the great powers, right? Because you're not gonna go to war with a nation that your daughter is, is queen, right? And so this was a, a savvy kind of diplomatic move, but he also was savvy in terms of international trade. In chapter five, uh, right before he's gonna build the temple, he makes this, this trade agreement uh, with one of the surrounding nations to secure cedar and cypress timber, lumber, from Lebanon. And he's gonna give them wheat, and so he secures, you know, he's, so he's got these alliances and, and political international trade deals. All that to say is King Solomon was, by modern metrics, would have had a very high approval rating from the majority of the people. Like, things are going well for Israel, right? Peace, prosperity, and power. Third contribution of Solomon. He's also remembered, this is probably one of the biggest contributions, but Solomon was the one who oversaw the building of the first temple in Jerusalem. Remember last, last week we talked about how David wanted to build a temple, but God said, no, not you, but your son. And so Solomon, during his reign, it's a time of peace, and so they have the, the margin to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Our passage this morning hinted at the, the, the mention of the, saying that the temple hadn't been built yet. Uh, but First Kings, significant portion of First Kings are devoted to details surrounding the temple's construction, chapters five through eight. Now remember this, just a quick little flashback. Remember when we were in the book of Exodus? How many chapters were devoted to the building of the tabernacle? So these details are important and there's these echoes in the building of the temple to the tabernacle to the Garden of Eden and that's a whole other sermon. It's fascinating if you look at all those details. Uh, but we're given these details about the temple construction, the furnishings within the temple. Uh, we're given details about the events surrounding the, the bringing of the ark, Solomon's prayer, and then this dedication of the temple. And in the book of Second Chronicles, which we'll talk a little bit about the difference between Second Chronicles and Kings. It's a later perspective, but more on that later. Chronicles offers this summary as Solomon's finishing this prayer of dedication. The presence of the Lord enters the temple. Solomon finished praying. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. Are you getting a sense of the significance of this moment? And Solomon, during his reign, oversaw the construction of the first temple in Jerusalem. This would have been an incredible moment to witness and behold in the history of God's people. This was the house of the Lord. And we're told in 1 Kings that it took seven years to complete this construction project. It's a significant part of Solomon's legacy, his contribution uh, to the nation of Israel. And after all of this, we're looking at all this and things look great, right? We're like, we're, we're hearing all of these, uh, um, this, these contributions and these accolades of Solomon. We're like, wow, this is an impressive resume. We gotta get this guy back in charge. Like, what's wrong, right? 
wisdom, peace, prosperity, respect, building of the temple. So it begs the question, what happened? What, what led to the downfall of Solomon? From a 30,000 pr- foot perspective, things seem to be going awesome. So it's, it's somewhat jarring when we get to chapter 11 and it almost seems like out of nowhere, Solomon just goes off the rails and he has 700 wives and 300 concubines and he's, he's sacrificing to all of these pagan gods of his wives and it's like, what happened? Well, what we need to do is, is go from that 30,000 foot perspective and get back into some of the details and what we see is along the way there were cracks showing. How many of you have ever had a car breakdown? Maybe, I don't know, okay, we're unashamed. Okay, we, we've all been there, right? And, and, you, and all of a sudden the car breaks down, it's not starting, and then you like think back and you're like, oh, there were some, some warning signs, right? Like there was the sound of metal scraping. No, I don't know if it was that dramatic, right? But there were warning signs along the way. And a closer look at the details of Solomon's life, there were warning signs, right? There were cracks. Uh, There were these little concessions that Solomon made along the way that led to his downfall, similar to the snowball that we talked about last week. In our text this morning, there's there's one phrase that just jumped off the page uh, in verse three as I was reading that, and it was this small little phrase, accept that. Did you notice it? Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statues of his father, David. Accept that. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. Little detail, accept that. Solomon showed love for the Lord, accept that. What did we talk about? Solomon was this wise king, accept that. Solomon brought peace and prosperity to the nation, accept at what cost. Solomon built the temple, except there are these details within the story of Solomon, excuse me, where he made all of these little concessions along the way. And for being a man of such great wisdom, there are way too many examples of these exceptions and concessions along the way. Let's consider some of them quickly. The accept that moments or exceptions or concessions. First of all, Solomon was a man of wisdom. We just talked about that, right? And the wisdom books reveal things like Uh, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Like Solomon should have known better than to worship and make sacrifices on high places to pagan gods and deities. He should have known better that these practices, you know, even if it's just kind of minor or on the side, like it would lead to disaster. He should have known better. Solomon was, was, was a man who was bringing peace to the nation of Israel, but for the sake of peace, for the sake of prosperity as a nation, Solomon made concessions. He married Pharaoh's daughter, right? And in the scriptures, we understand that that was not acceptable. And why? Because you marry, you marry someone, else, someone from a different religion and all of a sudden now you're a little more open to those religions, Right? And, it, and as we see, it led to not only him marrying Pharaoh's daughter, but by chapter 11, we read that he, he, he married 700 women from surrounding nations. And those nations are listed from Moabite, uh, Ammonite, Edomite, city, like, and, and what we know about some of those, those pagan religions is it may have included like abominable practices like child sacrifice, concessions along the way. What about the temple? Solomon begins this building project, right? 
And in order to build this, this massive temple, if you've been to Jerusalem, that's the second temple. Uh, ba- but to build these massive structures required a labor force. And what do we read in the book of 1 Kings? Is that how does he use? He uses forced labor. He starts enslaving people in order to build the temple of the Lord and to build his palaces. 1 Kings chapter 5, 1 Kings chapter 9, enslaving people. And there's some debate. What, did he enslave his own people? There's some debate about that. But some say, yeah, the cracks are showing. And then in, in 1 Kings, the last verse of 1 Kings 6 into the first verse of 1 Kings 7, we read this small detail. Listen. Verse 38 says this, he had spent seven years building it, that's the temple, chapter seven. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. And in that small detail, what's revealed, the priorities are a little bit off. Solomon almost spent twice as much time probably resources to build his palace for himself and a palace for Pharaoh's daughter than he did for the temple of the Lord. Solomon was wise, except that he could not see that pagan worship would lead to disaster. Pagan, or Solomon helped secure peace in the nation of Israel, except it was at the cost of of marrying these princesses from other nations that would eventually lead him into pagan worship and abominable practices. Solomon built the temple, but at what cost? Enslaving other thousands of other people against their will, maybe even his own people. Accept that. Accept that's. You see, in Solomon, what we see is that these acceptats, these exceptions, these concessions, what were they all in for? They were all for the pursuit of more. Excess. Solomon's excesses, in his excesses, he became more like Pharaoh than he did resemble his own father, David. As Solomon's kingdom continued to grow, as his wealth grew, as his power grew, as his political savvy and influence in the world grew, as accomplishments grew, he had everything one could ask for except for it seems that in his excess, it was his wisdom that began to suffer toward the end of his life. Again, by the end, he resembles Pharaoh more than he does his own father, King David. These words from Deuteronomy 17, the contrast between what God's word told the people of Israel to look for in a king, uh, highlighted in yellow the things that, that they said, this is who you are to look for as a king. And you look at Solomon's life and there is a stark contrast. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not require, acquire great numbers of horses. We're told of the thousands of horses and chariots. These are, these are, wep- these are war weapons. Like these are, this is like the advanced military, right? The, the horses, right? Or make people return to Egypt. You are not to go back that way. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. When we look at Solomon's life, he had thousands of horses and chariots. He stored up countless amounts of silver and gold. He had hundreds of wives and concubines. He returned the people to Egypt, not geographically speaking, but he returned the people to Egypt by enslaving people. 
And suddenly Israel starts looking more like Egypt who is enslaving people to build kingdoms and palaces and temples. And then Solomon, you know, we, we gotta ask ourselves, that continues and talks about meditating on the law and does he consider himself better than his fellow Israelites? I mean, man, all of these details in Deuteronomy 17, it's like, ah, oh, there's this contrast, right? You see, Solomon's excess all contributed to his ultimate downfall and failure as Israel's king. He went, in chapter 3, from this humble king, overwhelmed by the task at hand, asking God for wisdom, to a king who had been given the world excessive amounts of money and sex and power, and he turns his back on God in chapter 11. Begins worshiping foreign deities and idols, right? And as we'll see after the new year, when we come back to the story, the kingdom is torn in two after this. Now, it's easy for us to, to, to feel that distance of time and space and be like, oh, well, Solomon, yeah, boy. What, what, was, his pro- what was he thinking, right? But what do we say about scripture? We don't do this. We use scripture as a mirror to look at our own lives, Right? And so when we turn the mirror of scripture back in our own lives and we consider, uh, I mean, we have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, no matter some of the troubles and the uncertainties of, of our future in, in our country right now, like we, we live in like the most prosperous country in time more than most people in human history, right? And so if we think about our lives and our standard of living, like to be honest, like our lives, I think resemble more King Solomon than anyone else. In, in the nation of Israel thousands of years ago, right? And so like to turn that mirror on us and, and, and say, man, as those who live in a culture and a time and place that encourages, even celebrates the same excesses of King Solomon, more money, more sex, more power, how does living in this context, how does living in this culture and time and place and country and having similar access to those pleasures impact our hearts? Turn the mirror. I mean, we can chuckle, I and mean, we, should, we should chuckle at Christmas parades and oversized Christmas trees, and that's all lighthearted. Or even a nine-year-old who's clamoring and pining for more full-size Milky Way bars, like, that's understandable, and, and it's silly, and, and, and we understand that kids can never have enough candy, but, but when we honestly look at our own lives, boy, it can get a little sobering. I was just sharing this this morning, but whenever I'm preaching a sermon, oftentimes that mirror gets kind of amplified and it's like, whoa. But we are surrounded, we are, we are inundated in our culture, our time, our country with voices telling us that, that we don't have enough. Most marketing campaigns, the strategy is to let you know that you don't have enough and that you need or you deserve whatever product they're trying to tell, to sell, right? Oh, you need this new Mercedes-Benz with a bow on it. Or, or you need these custom kitchen knives. You know, I mean, there's so many different, I don't know, whatever, whatever the ad is, right? You don't have enough, you need this. And not only that, but with, with the digital world and social media, like it's so easy right now to get caught in the comparison game. 
where we see in the lives of others and, and we think we need to have what others have, whether that's a nicer car or a bigger house or a fresher wardrobe. Do people say fresher, fresher wardrobe? People don't do this anymore, right? You're like, I don't want that, whatever that is, Pastor. Or that luxurious vacation. Maybe for you it's not those things that you long for or that you compare yourself to. Maybe it's, maybe it's accomplishments, right? Chasing after that promotion, whatever that is. Chasing after whatever your personal goals are in this season and go, go, go. Or, or protecting that image that you present to the world. Maybe for you it's not those things, but it's maybe what you feel are maybe more noble things like your relationships, right? And we see what other families have or maybe you didn't get to have Thanksgiving this year and you're like, oh man, I, I wish I could have that. Or, oh man, I wish my relationship with my kids was, was what their relationship looks like. Or man, I, I, I want approval from my peers or, or maybe a parent of young kids, you're like, man, I just wish my kids would listen to me just once, right? Or we could just pull off one good family picture, right? Like the dozen I got in my mailbox this week. <laughs> you see, even in our world of excess, we, we always find reasons to long for more. And if in that longing we allow those accept thats, those exceptions, those concessions to influence and take up space in our hearts, sooner rather than later they begin to take over. The Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy in chapter six, these words, which I find just oh, convicting. But godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul writes, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In a culture of excess, where the love of, of money and status and power and comfort are always before us, how do we as people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, actually find contentment? As we've been talking in this last season, you know, you get the emails about Advent conspiracy and some of the things we've been talking about, which I think are really helpful tools, one would be gratitude. So if you find yourself struggling with discontentment, like enter into an, an intentional practice of gratitude. Maybe as a family, maybe individually, like start a gratitude journal. Just start writing down and naming the things you are thankful for instead of focusing on what you do not have. It's a helpful practice. Practice of generosity. Begin giving away what God has given with you, to you and blessed you with and see how that begins to change the focus of your heart. But as we close, I just want to share a story. A few years ago, uh, I joined with some, uh, some friends and, and church family members uh, for a meal together. And it was, a, it was quite a unique meal for a variety of reasons. 
Uh, the first reason that it was unique was the setting. We had kind of gathered in kind of a, a meeting place, maybe the cafeteria, up on the third or fourth floor of Mary Freebed, downtown Grand Rapids. The second reason that made the meal very unique was, I maybe knew this at the time, but it, it ended up being the last meal I would share with one of the members of the church. I think it's okay. I, her name was Donna. Months prior, an aggressive brain tumor had been discovered, rushed into surgery, some complications with surgery that robbed Donna of many of her normal faculties. Simple tasks like eating, walking, communication all became more difficult. And along that journey, Donna had, had shared in our visits the struggle. Like there was an honest struggle with all the things that she had lost. There was an honest struggle and lament in reconciling all of this with her faith. That was all true, and it's important to mention that. But here we are, gathered at Mary Freebed, a dinner that she demanded would happen. And she invited some members, some close friends of hers, her husband, and some pastors, uh, the two pastors, to come along. She created the menu. We sat down. We had food. We shared some laughter. We shed some tears. We sang some songs. And we read some scripture because the idea was Donna couldn't get to church. And so we were going to bring church to Donna. And we broke bread and we shared in communion. But there's one thing that I'll never forget in that moment. As she was sitting at the table, she looked at us with all the sincerity of heart you can imagine. And she said, God is so good. She went on and said, I have everything I could ever need right now. And I thought to myself, you know, this cancer had stolen so much from her over the past months, and yet here she is saying that, and I, she means it with all her heart. Because all she needs in that moment, she's been given in the presence and power of Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I pray someday that I'll have a sliver of that kind of contentment in my Lord Jesus Christ and his work in my life. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to do that work in each of us. Lord God, as, as we read the testimony of Solomon, I, Lord, I confess and we confess that uh, the allure of the things, the good, good gifts, Lord, that you give in this world. That allure and that, that longing and that desire has a pull on my heart. And Lord, I confess it's so easy for me to focus on, on what I don't have than to focus my heart on, on what I do. 
And Lord, the, the truth is that, that Lord Jesus, you are, you are present with us here in this moment, that you are present with us by the good news of the gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. You are real and you are present and you offer us every single thing that we need to find contentment right here, right in this moment. And I'm so far away from fully believing that and understanding that, embracing that in my life. And so, Lord, my prayer is that for each of us, Lord, you would help us to move just a step closer. Lord, that even in this moment, Lord, you would fill our hearts with a sense of peace and contentment. Knowing that we have a God in heaven who loves us, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf, and we have the promise of salvation both now and forevermore. Thank you for that reminder and that comfort, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us.
Uh, growing up, uh, one of my favorite verses was um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that just, as a young boy, you know, um, but there's some verses before that verse that I think uh, lay some helpful uh, context, because um, the reality is we don't always experience contentment, and part of Donna's journey was, was the, the lament, and, the, and that's, that's all part of the journey, we talk about being on a journey. Um, but God gives us what we need. Paul writes this, starting in verse 12, I, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, that I can do all things, all of this, through him who gives me strength. But the reality is God will give to us exactly what we need in the moment. And it's not always a physical thing. Sometimes it's what our heart means. And as we go from here, receive a blessing from this same chapter. He says this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's people say, amen. Let's enjoy some fellowship together. Singing glory. 